Welcome, viewers and listeners, to the Total Football Analysis La Liga podcast. We are the Thinking Fans podcast. Each week, we get together with our besties, who are current pro players, real coaches, and academics and stat heads. Join our tribe. The revolution will be televised and podcasted. My name is Chris Mumford, a professor of innovation at UNC Chapel Hill. I'm a former university goalkeeper and current cranky goalkeeper coach. For those of you who enjoyed Money Heist or La Casa de Papel, I am known as the professor. Bella ciao, bella ciao. Today I'm joined by Coach Scott Martin, whom we'll call the philosopher because, well, he is a philosopher. One of his religions is football, particularly Real Madrid. He comes from our Charlotte Bureau. Also, we have Sam Leverage, whom we call Sam the Man because he's our man in Madrid. He comes from our Bureau in Madrid. Finally, we're joined by Alex Comisa, whom we call the Mind Reader as he sees the future two-tenths of a second faster than everyone else. That's handy for his day job. He's a current center back for North Carolina FC and comes from our Raleigh Bureau. This week, we're going to discuss the restart, the Champions League and Europa slots, and Barca's center back questions and what to do with the right back. For months, we've had dark days, which has put a stop to life as we know it. But we've recently learned that La Liga will be starting on Thursday, June 11th, with the Sevilla Derby. The storylines of the season is which one of the league's heavyweights, Barca or Real Madrid, will blink first. The fourth Champions League spot is a free-for-all with Real Sociedad, Hetafe, and Atletico Madrid all in the mix. Sam, you're in Madrid. Let's get into the details of the restart. What is what is being said around the streets of Madrid? Yeah, so as you said, Chris, we're, we're kicking off on the 11th of June, the big Seville derby to get things started. It's going to be a bigger game, really. And then from there on, I think it will be almost a month, a bit longer than a month, that we'll have games every day. We've got 11 match days left to play in La Liga, and so there's a lot of games to, to squeeze in. We've got the five changes for all of the teams involved and there'll be some hot temperatures as well. So La Liga doing lots of work to justify kickoff times and, and explain how they're going to help teams out there. But there's definitely a, an excitement in the air to bring football back to Spain, back to Madrid, back to La Liga. And everybody's kind of raring to go now. And, and now they've seen the Bundesliga get started, they, they can't wait to see the end of this title race. Scott, I know you're fired up about La Liga. What, what have you been reading about the restart? Uh, so what I'm seeing is that, um, you know, we're, we are seeing a lot of players returning to health. That's a big factor for a lot of these big clubs. Uh, as you look at Barcelona, uh, Real Madrid, and Atletico Madrid, uh, all of them have had a number of injuries this season. So seeing the players return to the field, um, you know, the team's trying to regain form. You know, they didn't enter the break in the best shape. So it'll be interesting to see how they transition, if they've used this break effectively, and uh, you know what the quality of play looks like. Alex, you've been restarting on, on, the, on the pitch yourself. What's your take on the restart in La Liga, given your mindset of having to restart yourself? 
Yeah, as a player and, and student of the game, I am just ecstatic about the, the restart of La Liga. Obviously, as, as Sam mentioned, Bundesliga has started up again, but I am a Barca fan. I've been a Barca fan ever since the Frank Reichardt days when Ronaldinho was playing. Uh, the first season I watched every single game was 2008-2009 when Guardiola was there. So I've been a Barca fan ever since. So I'm especially looking forward to this two-way title race between Madrid and Barcelona. Well, Scott, a, a little while ago, you you talked about injuries and how that um, could infect, uh, will have likely affect the run-in. Um, and what I thought I'd do is we'll go ahead and share the screen. And Sam, can you just elaborate a little bit on the um, the injury uh, situation for uh, the teams that are in in the hunt? Yeah, definitely. So it's affected the title race quite a lot. But for both Barcelona and Real Madrid, it's been more good news than, than anything else. So at Barcelona, the, the main absences, of course, were Luis Suarez, who was going to miss the rest of the season, and Osman de Bellin. And obviously now Luis Suarez is expected to be back fit for the first game. So that's a huge boost for Barcelona. They brought in Martin Braithwaite kind of as his replacement, and it was only a few weeks before the season was halted. But now they will have Braithwaite and they will have Suarez available as well. So that will be a really big difference for them in attack to give them some more options and a bit more depth. Um, we've seen a few other injuries as well. Samuel Mtiti got uh, a muscle strain, but he's back already in training. And Dembele isn't registered, so he won't be able to feature. But Barcelona really could benefit if we look at their case specifically. For Real Madrid, it's good news as well. Marco Asensio was expected to miss all of the season and he's now back. He's been out long-term the whole season he's missed. So we'll see how his fitness is, if he needs a bit more game time, a bit more practice to get back into the rhythm of things. But both of the two main teams have definitely benefited. And Eden Hazard as well, another key player who's come back from injury. And much like Asensio, his injury, though it wasn't such a long-term one, it was quite a serious one with his ankle. So it be interesting to see how those two come back into the team. Then we've got Atletico Madrid, so kind of the third team who aren't quite in the title race, but they have been really hit by the return to training. Diego Simeone and, and Profe Ortega like to push their players hard. And they've had both Jao Felix and Angel Correa fall out because of injury in the last couple of weeks as they've returned to training. And they've still got another three or four weeks before either of those players could be back. And three or four weeks in usual terms, it might be three or four games. But now in this situation, we're looking at seven or eight games that they're going to miss. So that could be a real blow for Diego Simeone. How about in terms of Sevilla, Real Sociedad and Hatafe? Any injury yeah, so on them? Looking at the rest of the league, there hasn't been as, as big an, an impact. So Barcelona, Real Madrid obviously have their bigger squads with some big hitters who are out injured. And then Atletico Madrid as well worked their players quite hard with a smaller squad. But Sevilla, Real Sociedad and Hatafe and, and almost the rest of the league, they haven't had too many major injury issues in terms of new injuries or players coming back, players being injured. So they're kind of very much as it was before. They've had a chance to, to rest some key players, which is crucial, especially for the likes of Tafe, quite an older squad. But more or less, they're, they're along the same lines as they were before. Super. Well, let's turn our attention to where the standings are for the Champions League in Europa. And at the top, we talked about the battle between the two heavyweights at 58 and 56 points respectively. Uh, 
So there's going to be a storyline on what's going to happen there on the run in, uh, as well as uh, that fourth spot for the Champions League. Uh, uh, Alex, tell us a little bit about where Barca is right now. What's as a fan, what, what are you excited about seeing? What sort of concerns do you have in the run-in? Obviously excited that they're in first place, but uh, I am, you know, not counting the chickens yet. They are only two points above Madrid, so it's very much the two-way race that we expected. Atletico is a little lower than we'd expect. Uh, the interesting thing about Barcelona this season has been their goals against record. And I believe that it's at 31 goals against, but they've scored around 65. Much, much more goals against than Real Madrid. So definitely, statistically speaking, Madrid is in better shape defensively to close out this season. Okay. And Scott, what, what's your, where's your head around Real Madrid at this point? So leading into the break, we saw Real Madrid really start to struggle in the attacking phases of the game. So the penetration into the, the attacking third, as well as just the ability to play uh, that final pass was really suffering. So when you look at the, the injury situation, uh, Eden Hazard's absence was a major factor in the team's uh, inability to create high-quality scoring opportunities. Um, also, with his injury, you saw Karim Benzema drop even deeper into the midfield. And you know, from watching him play, you know, during his time at Madrid, he, he likes to drop in pretty deep anyway. So now you have him dropping even further, participating with the midfield. Uh, Isco would generally take his place, but you know, just certainly not the same kind of contribution in the attack that, uh, that we see from Hazard. So you know, I think from Real Madrid's perspective, the break was a great chance for them to, to uh, recover from some injuries and kind of figure out exactly what was going wrong in the attack. So there, there just wasn't a lot, a lot of dynamism. Um, they tended to keep the attack mostly in front of the, the opponent's back line. That made their job a little bit easier. So I'm interested to see how Zidane's used this break. So, Sam, uh, if you look at Sevilla, Real Sociedad, Hitafe, and Atletico, you've got two points separating those four teams for two yeah. slots, right? So four teams are going to go after two slots. Where is Sevilla right now? So Sevilla is a very strange one. They're a great team away from home, and then when they're at home, they really struggle. I think they're one of the very few teams in the top five leagues across Europe who have a better win rate away from home than they do at the Estadio Sanchez Pizjuan. And so they're quite a strange team to predict. They struggle for goals a lot. They're, they don't quite reach their XG in terms of the goals scored against the goals that they would expected to score. So they're an odd case to, to judge them, really. With Tulane Lopetegui, they play some really good football, some fast passing, flowing movement but they do struggle for that consistency and that's where they could come unstuck. If they hit a bad run of form at any point in these last few weeks and we know how difficult it will be for them to get back into the swing of things and it could be really crucial with just the two points in it, they could easily drop out of the top four. So Scott, tell me about the two, two teams that really kind of punched above their weight, Real Sociedad and Hatafe. Yeah, so Real Sociedad is a really interesting team just because they're, they have so much young talent. 
Uh, we've seen the emergence of Alexander uh, Isaac up top. He's he's taking that starting spot and just run with it. Uh, his performances in the past, or I guess in the last two months of play, were really brilliant. They they sparked that that run up the table, and uh, just there's a lot of young talent all throughout that team. And the uh, to his Isaac's left, he's got uh, Mikel Ayarzabal, who's you know one of the the emerging talents in La Liga. And then in the midfield, you have Real Madrid loanee uh, Martin Odegaard, who's really found his form at uh, Real Sociedad. This loan has been perfect for him. So it's, it's a very attack-oriented team. Uh, when they attack, they go quickly. Uh, they tend to be very direct. Uh, Odegaard especially is, is just brilliant with picking out uh, those, those dangerous passes. So that they're a fun team to watch. And you know, I think if there was one team in particular that this break hurt, it's Real Sociedad because they were in electric form. Uh, with Getafe, you could probably argue that this break has helped them a bit. Uh, it is an aging squad. Um, the midfield does have some young legs, which helps. But when you look up top, the forwards are on the wrong side of 30, and it's an older back line as well. Um, them recuperate from this and you know we Sam and I have talked in the past how you know we weren't necessarily sure if they had the the um, the legs to make it for the full course of the season and reach the Champions League so you know maybe this is what the the doctor ordered for Getafe nice so it, it'll be interesting to see how they handle that Madrid heat but it's yeah they're well suited yeah, I think I think that'll be the real challenge for them there Scott obviously if the season does go on into mid-July that we're looking at at the moment, and in mid-July in Madrid we can be talking about 40 degrees Celsius, 100 degrees Fahrenheit, and that could be a real challenge for some of their older players who are into their, their mid-late 30s to be playing two times a week in that kind of temperature. It's really going to take it out of their legs. So, Sam, talk to us more about Atletico. What's, what's, what's happened here, right? They've punched in below their weight. Yeah, so Diego Simeone has used the word transition a lot this season. I think it's it's a fair way of describing their season. They lost Diego Godin, they lost Antoine Griezmann, who were kind of two of the well, two of the three or four most important players in their team last season. So there is definitely a change that they've had to adapt to this season, and I think it's one they've kind of struggled to do. Jao Felix came in as the the man to lead the new era and. He's had a difficult year getting used to La Liga, getting some injuries as well. And so I think Atletico, they're one of those teams that you can never rule out because they do know how to grind out a 1-0 win and they won't have any problem doing that. And if they grind out 11 1-0 wins between now and the end of the season, I wouldn't be surprised. But at the same time, their waveform has been poor. They haven't quite managed to find the goals and where in the past they have picked up those 1-0 wins this season, they're 0-0 draws. And that's kind of been the main difference with that list, but they haven't got that cutting edge up front. Hard to bet against them. You know, they're, they're only yeah. two points off, and I, with, you know, they are, they're a tough team to watch sometimes, but you can't, you can't help but admire what their, their uh, results are. Um, so um, how about in terms of Valencia? Can you, can you elaborate on that, Scott? Yeah, so this is a Valencia team that is probably – on their knees praying for a break uh, leading up to the shutdown. They uh, 
crashed out of the Champions League against Atalanta, uh, just played off the field. So this is a side that, that really needs to figure out um, how it's going to restart its approach to the season. Uh, this is a great opportunity for them. They, they entered this break as, I think, the only team in the top nine in uh, La Liga as underperforming, or sorry, their, uh, their XG, so their expected goals for the season, was lower than their expected goals against which is shocking for a team that's you know, four points out of a Champions League spot. So they have major defensive issues. And you know, although they've got a lot of attacking talent, we just haven't seen them use it well this season. So um, it, it, if they can figure out what to do in the middle of the midfield, you know, I think we can see uh, a little bit of a run into those, the top four spots. But if not, um, my... I don't necessarily expect them to challenge. Okay. Um, so Alex, you are, you actually uh, played a couple games uh, or a game uh, with, and then you were put, your team was put on ice for 12 weeks or so, and you're in the process of restarting. Can you elaborate on kind of what you imagine their, the players over, over in Spain, what they're kind of getting prepared for? And are they just thinking of this as a, completely new season or, or what, what's your take? Right. So from a player perspective, you want to go out and you just want to play games. So for example, when we, when our season, the United soccer uh, league was put on postponement, we played one game uh, and then we couldn't train anymore. We could only train individually, which sucks because soccer is such an interactive game. You need two people to pass a ball, right? Unless you have a wall. So, I imagine that the players in Spain, and especially in La Liga, have a ton more resources than we do, and that they've been keeping up with, with very strict fitness programs, very strict technical programs. You know, at that level, I imagine that they could get on the field even before, way before we could in small groups, and I think that happened a few weeks ago. Um, so that was very beneficial. They're all back to you know, full team training, which is incredible. And, you know, just for example, I've heard that morale is super, super high, uh, are, are the reports out of, out of Barcelona. Um, Messi has apparently brought this, this new energy to the team. You know, everyone's fit. We mentioned him, Titi, we mentioned Alaba. Everyone is on the same page. And I just think these guys are just so ready to go. They just, there's just dogs that want to get off the leash and they, they just want to play. And that's how I feel very much. So I hope that on a personal, we come to an agreement and I can get out to the field soon. Super. Well, let's turn uh, our attention towards talking about uh, Barcelona's best defenders and, and uh, what the tactics are. Scott, can, can you walk us through this? Yeah. So when you look at this Barcelona defense, you know, Alex mentioned it earlier, uh, they, there are some defensive vulnerabilities. And you know the the back line does have some some spotty uh, issues. One of them, however, is not Gerard Piquet. That guy is absolutely still a rock. So we we recently profiled the uh, the Barcelona center back situation on our uh, Barcelona analysis page. And one thing that was really clear to me is that Piquet just he hasn't missed a step. So when you watch this guy play. His, his awareness 
of the potential threats and his his reading of the game so his timing to make sure that he is responding uh in the the best possible moment is, is unparalleled on that barcelona back line so he's very much the rock in defense um as long as he's healthy Barcelona's got a chance to put in a good defensive performance each game. The guy just doesn't put in a wrong step. So, so paint a picture for us on uh, a specific example. Yeah. So when we look at a specific example, um, you know, we in the game against uh, Real Madrid, you know, this latest Clasico in March, we saw a situation where Marcelo had picked up the ball in the left half space. And, you know, Real Madrid had just completed a switch of play. They uh, were starting to, to build on that left-hand side. And we saw Isco and Vinicius Jr. check closer to Marcelo. And that pulled, um, pulled Nelson Semedo out of his back line. So he was disconnected from Piquet. So Piquet was right on it, though. As soon as he saw Semedo step forward, and then Venetius Jr. make that, that, that um, cut behind him. He was Johnny on the spot. I mean, absolutely brilliant read. Uh, by the time Marcelo sent his pass, so, I mean, ball had traveled maybe five or six yards. Only two players on the whole pitch had responded. Uh, it was Venetius Jr. who initiated the pass with his run. And then you had Gerard Piquet, who, who immediately saw that his teammate was out of position and that the through ball was en route. So with that reading of the game, with that awareness of the potential threat, he was able to get an early start on his run and just make a brilliant sliding tackle to cut out the play. You know, danger averted. So Alex, you are a center back. Uh, can, you, can you give you, uh, us your take on PK and the situation? Right. So obviously I think that PK is one of the best center backs. I mean, he's been playing at the highest level over the last 12 years. I've watched his evolution from being a young center back next to the legendary Carlos Puyol, who was such an incredible leader. And I've seen PK's uh, leadership role, you know, grow much more gradually. You know, he's definitely the veteran in the squad. He knows the Barcelona system in and out. He can definitely communicate that expertly well to some of the new guys like Unamtiti, like Olengle. Obviously, very, very, very good on the ball in possession all time. I believe he has a 90% successful passing rate. You know, for all his criticism, I do believe he covers space exceptionally well, and he's so good at reading cues. So in this specific example, a center back needs to be able to understand different cues. Where the ball's going, where the ball is, where his teammates are, and who's the most threatening run. In this case, as Scott mentioned, the most threatening run is Vinicius. He also happens to be lightning quick, which PK definitely knows as they scout them before. He notices right away that Semedo gets caught out of position. He uses that peripheral vision to see that, along with the immediate movement and run by Vinicius, along with knowing that Umtiti is right behind him, right beside him to his left to cover him, along with the cues that Marcelo, the guy who is on the ball, the player who is on the ball, 
has. You see, Marcelo has seen with his eyes, looked up at Vinicius, decided to put his head down and play that ball. So again, as Scott mentioned, this is just an expert, an expert play from a veteran play from a player like PK, who is just so good at moving to his, his right and reading these cues and breaking up plays. I know we can go down a rabbit hole on this, but quick question. How, how, how does one, how does one learn those elements on that sense of the present like that? Right. So Center backs, when we're young and if you're in the right environment, you are taught not to just follow a man blindly. You have to be a thinking player. You know, this is the thinking podcast, right? So we got to be a thinking player, an intelligent player. We cannot, as center backs, just follow guys blindly or else, in this case, for example, PK might have followed Casemiro right into the midfield and then he would have gotten exposed. It would have been potentially a goal. Mm -hmm. So you learn to read cues. Like, like I mentioned, cues are just so important. You have to be able to manipulate space to be able to look to your left, to your right. Where are your teammates? You know, where are we moving? Where are we supposed to be? Is our space condensed? Is, are we too spread out? There's many different things. And how do you learn it? You know, it comes over time. You have to, you have to just train it. So one of the drills that I would do, for example, when I was playing at uh, UNC Chapel Hill, for example, was we would you know stay in a line of, of back four a line of four and we'd have players in behind us just standing in behind us and players in front of us like one forward in front of us one forward behind us as a drill and we'd have a server who would either serve into the forward or would serve in behind us now if i overread the person in front of me and step this the other player can just clip it in behind me and then you know it's it's you're through on goal so you have to be able to read the cues of the player who has the ball. That's probably the number one thing. And you just learn with experience. So let's move to the next um, tactical um, uh, discussion. Scott, can you paint a picture for us on this? What's, what's happening here? So picked out a, a situation from the match against Ibar. So Ibar had set up in a middle block. We saw them with, uh, you know, 4-3-1-2 in defense. And Barcelona, like they do so well, they overloaded the middle. And with a, a series of passing, uh, just short passes, uh, quick combinations, they were able to force the Ibar defense to become very compact. So, and although Ibar took away the middle of the pitch, what they didn't factor in was that the two center backs were sitting very deep, well beyond the two forwards. And that's where a player like Clement Langley is able to use his range, his distribution range, to pick out uh, those wing players. So with that Barcelona squad, you know, we have uh, typically Nelson Semedo playing a very dynamic role on that right wing uh, and comparable qualities with Jordi Alba on the, the left-hand side. So in this situation against Ibar, what we saw is Barcelona look to penetrate into the midfields, connect the lines a little bit, and then once Ibar collapsed defensively, there was that drop back to Lenglet, who then picked out the, the run of Semedo downfield and just sent a you know, sumptuous 40-50 yard strike right onto his outside back's uh, laces. So when I look at Lenglet, 
he's he's got all the attacking qualities that this Barcelona side really needs. Uh, I don't see him necessarily as the strongest defender. Uh, he does approach the game a lot like PK, but the skill set is just not comparable to the Spaniard. So it is often uh, that we see Lenglet, um, at least defensively, uh, start a little more conservatively, a little more centrally, but with those two outside backs getting up and down the field so often, he does struggle to cover the width of the field. Uh, so his reading of the, the game is just not on level with PKs where he can make that read and then cover uh, the pitch quite as well. But uh, you know, despite the defensive deficiencies, he, he's a very sound attacking player. Uh, this Barcelona team needs someone of that quality. They face far too many low blocks. Uh, you know, in this case, a middle block, but they generally face low blocks and they need someone who can play over it. So that's, I think, where Lenglet really specializes. I think that might be a bit harsh on, on Lenglet defensively. I mean, he's kind of the younger player. And I think when you look at Lenglet and Piquet alongside each other, for me, it kind of reminds me of Piquet when he played alongside Carlos Boyola and he was kind of learning the game still. And, and Lenglet has obviously proven himself at a high level and tactically he's quite aware. But he just had to lack, yeah, just had to add that kind of that concentration and that ability to read the game a bit better. And I think that's what he can learn alongside Pique. He's been at Barcelona for a while now, so maybe next season is kind of the big season where we expect to see him kick on. But I think he's still a, a good talent for, for Barcelona to have in that back line. That's, that's definitely a possibility. I don't see him reaching Pique's level of ability. I mean, that's just world class talent. Um, but one thing I, I'm seeing far too often from Lenglet is that he looks to to go too far into the wings to do his defending. And, you know, especially against these fast wingers, he doesn't necessarily account for their pace. And so it, it leaves him in a situation where he does have to go all in on a tackle. And, you know, more often than not, he, he does have to make the professional foul. So, you know, I, I think he does bite off a little bit more than he can chew defensively. Um, you know, if he's able to stay centrally and just use his physical presence, um, use his aerial ability, then yeah, he's, he's a nice defender. Uh, he's very good in the box. Um, when he's able to, to stand up an attacker and block a shot, he's, he's one of the best in La Liga. But in open play, and especially against the counterattack, which Barcelona sees often, I just don't know that he fits the system as well as Piquet or... Or I would even say Umtiti. I, I think Samuel Umtiti is very strong in that regard. And uh, his, his skill set really balances out PKs. So, so let's, let's move on. Can, can, you, can you talk about uh, another tactical situation here? Yeah, so in this situation, we're looking at the, the right backs, uh, Nelson Semedo. So you know, as we alluded to in that last... Uh, sequence against Ibar. Barcelona does tend to get very compact in the midfield. They do overload there, so it gives that freedom to the outside backs to really roam high up the pitch and uh, you know look to, to wreak some havoc as they start to attack the opponent. Mm -hmm. So when you look at a player like Nelson Semedo, uh, he's very pacey. He loves to get in behind. He's a very instinctual attacker. So the moment he sees an opponent overload centrally uh, or at the moment he sees Messi 
Uh, you know, and we've got a situation here against uh, Real Madrid where Messi moved centrally, occupied three Real Madrid defenders. That opens up a lot of space for Semedo on the wings. So the moment that wing opens up, the moment uh, his, his attacker in front of him, generally Messi, occupies you know, at least a second, if not a third defender, Semedo looks to take off. And, and that's where you know, I think he does read the, the, uh, the passing ability of PK and Lingley well. He knows what they can offer, what they bring to the attack. And he's very quick to respond. Um, and, and I think that's, that does fit Barcelona's system well. So, Alex, yeah. what, what's your take on that? Hey, Scott, I think that's a really, really great take. And it's just so interesting because you, you just feel like Danny Alves is the, the pinnacle right back. Like they, that's the model that they want to follow, right? And when they signed Semedo, I remember thinking to myself, like, okay, they're going to try to convert this guy into a Danny Alves, Alves type of player. And here's the perfect example of why they signed him. He is just able, with that pace, he's just able to get up and down the line. Sometimes it can be a defensive liability. But if you have, I argue that if you have the right cover, and I believe we'll go into this, if you have the right cover, your fullbacks can absolutely get all the way up wide and, you know, cause these real issues. And then you, just an example too, you see the, the genius of Messi within, within this example. Messi just walks into this space, drags three players with him, and then there's this whole space right in behind on the right wing that now Semelo can exploit, and then Messi can quickly join with him for a one-two. And I do also believe, look, Semelo, I think he's the, the second best fullback in the, the Liga behind, uh, behind Sevilla's Jesus Navas in terms of successful dribbles. You know, that is obviously, we, we expect that from a Barcelona right back. But, you know, there's something to be said about his ability to play forward, his willingness to play these one-twos and get into very dangerous attacking spaces. Something that Sergio Roberto might not be able to do as well. Although, in Roberto's defense, he is probably way more sound defensively and, and versatile within the Barcelona system. So let's chat about Jordi Alba. Can you elaborate on that and what, what we've got going on here? Yeah, so in the match against Espanyol, uh, we just saw Barcelona uh, engage in a, a very typical build-out. You know, they, they entered the attacking half of the field, and then from there... They they were looking to to manipulate the defensive shape of Espanol before making progress before entering the final third. So uh, you know I guess you could say they were preparing to attack the opponent, um, freeing up Jordi Alba so that he could then attack or initiate the attack against Espanol. So you know in this sequence, uh, you know we we saw Barcelona just have a si- simple swing of the ball along the back line. Uh, Busquets dropped in um, to participate in the buildup. But as that was occurring on the right-hand side of the field, Jordi Alba kept pushing higher and higher up the pitch. So he had, uh, I believe, Antoine Griezmann in that, uh, that left half space to, to offer uh, a 2v1, you know, if Barcelona was able to switch the ball quickly. Um, but Griezmann's presence also has the, uh, the effect of pinning the opponent in that half space. So now, you know, with the switch of play to Jordi Alba, who's playing in a high wide position, his, 
nearest defender can't uh, can't just drop Griezmann to go press. He has to stay back, maintain his shape, and let his midfield catch up to the play uh, and apply pressure. So that that very act itself, that quick switch of play, Jordi Alba's high and wide positioning enabled Barcelona to enter the final third uh, with relative ease. Um, Sam, do you have any any notes uh, on this, on Jordi's play? Yeah. So I think with Jordi Alba as well, I mean, very much like Semedo, his pace is a real asset there. And we've seen this season that Jordi Alba hasn't quite hit the same height. So last season, you wonder if that's kind of the age hitting in and affecting his pace. But he is so intelligent when he makes those runs and he is so intelligent at the right moment to, to cut in and to provide the pass. So one of the moves that, that was almost his trademark move has become his run down to the, to the touchline, almost taking the ball out of play and then cutting it back for Lionel Messi to make it a late run into the box. And I think that kind of connection between Jordi Alba and Lionel Messi, especially last season, is really important for Barcelona. I think it's something that they've really capitalised on and it kind of shows the importance they have of the two fullbacks who can really get down the flanks and, and add some width because we've discussed before about how the front three at Barcelona are very narrow. Dembele has been injured a lot and that's kind of affected things. So we see Griezmann, Suarez, Messi playing together and they're in other teams, there'd be three centre-forwards. They're not three, a front three that will have wide players out there. They're not stuck to the wings very often. So it's really important that Semedo and Alba do make the most of that space, and that's that's exactly what they do. Super. So let's imagine that we have the precogs at Total Football Analysis, and I'd like us to kind of talk through who we th- – what – you would imagine your team, how you see things happening in terms of run-in, and let's let's talk about how you see things, and let's let's have a little conversation about that. Alex, can you start us off on that, please? I see it. Barcelona champions at the end of the season. I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of hate in this group. Go home. <laughs> no hope. Um, but look, I just – I don't know. Everyone's healthy. It's, it's, it's a competitive environment. You know, again, back to the reports, there's morale is very, very high. You know, Messi wants <laughs> Messi wants this league. He wants the Champions League. Like he he is definitely definitely not even close to done. Um, I I just see Barcelona taking the title. You know, I think their biggest biggest game will be at the Sanchez Pijuan, excuse me, against Sevilla. Um, that could be a potential slip up, but you know, if if big if if they can. You know, find the right center back relationship. Is it Umtiti and PK? Is it Lengley and PK? We we just know that PK is going to be there for sure. Then maybe they can, hopefully, for Barcelona's sake, you know, keep balls out of the net because we know they're going to score. Uh, anybody have a difference of opinion on that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not sure it's that simple, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you look at the the Sevilla away game, and that's obviously a difficult one on paper. But then even when you look at some of the other games that they've got, I mean, their first game back is is Mallorca away, which might seem like an easy game. But remember, Real Madrid lost there earlier in the season. Then you've got they welcome Athletic after they play Sevilla and Athletic at San Mamés in the first game of the season. And the next game, they play Celta Vigo, who traditionally they tend to struggle against for some unknown reason. And then even after that, they've got Atletico Madrid, they've got Villarreal, two teams are right in the fight for the European places. And there's a, a Catalan derby against Espanyol who could be fighting to stay up. I mean, there's lots of 
games which might seem like easy ones if they were any other time of the season, but they're going to be teams that are playing for their lives almost. So I think Barcelona could find things a little bit more difficult than maybe we expect. And if they have a few injuries come up, we know their squad isn't the biggest squad in La Liga in terms of the depth and strengthening depth. So they could face a few challenges in that running. Scott, make the case they, they're not going to make it, that Barca's not going to make it to the <laughs> championship. So with the hectic schedule ahead of us, I think squad depth will be incredibly important. And Barcelona just hasn't shown a whole lot of rotation this year. So I, I do think that negatively impacts them. Um, regardless of the combination they have on the field, I haven't necessarily seen that final product, you know, that, that polished final product that can blow an opponent away while uh, you know, they're playing under Setien. So I, I don't necessarily see them uh, having an easy run of play to close out the season. So this, this will be challenging. I, I don't think Setien's had time to implement his, his philosophy. And you know, I, I also just don't think that they have the right mix of players in the squad. So I still don't know how Griezmann fits in with Messi. You know, we're trying to figure that one out. So To defend Alex for a second there, Scott, I think when you look at a coach like Seti and he's a player who kind of need a coach who needs to implement his philosophy and, and teach the players how he wants to play and it's not always that easy. And I think this break in a way has kind of given him that pre-season that he didn't have the chance to have, having that kind of philosophy changing the the style of play mid-season is always going to be a challenge and so maybe we'll see that they do look a bit more like the, the finished piece of art when they do come back to action. And wasn't Setien really brought in to help Barca get back to the Barca way? Uh, so uh, it'll be interesting to see how that uh, evolves in the yeah. next nine or ten games. Scott, get, make, make the case that Real Madrid is, is going gonna, is gonna to walk home with the, the championship. So I think in La Liga, we have the best squad depth. Um, we have a couple of difficult away games, but for the most part, uh, when we face a team in the top half of the table, they're coming to Madrid. So that's, uh, that's a ma major benefit for us. Um, and, you know, I, I think uh, we mentioned this earlier, you know, of the teams in the, the races for European spots, you know, it was maybe Real Sociedad, who was the only team that didn't benefit. Uh, I do see Real Madrid benefiting from this break, much like uh, Setien's Barcelona. So the attack had stagnated a little bit at Madrid. Um, there were some key injuries that were preventing them from really implementing the attacking style that Zidane wanted. So now with with uh, Asensio and Hazard back, uh, and especially you know since we do have the strength to to rotate, you know we've had to depend on these younger guys over the course of the season, I think we're really well positioned to, to have the right kind of rotation, the right mix of talent, and, and find the right tactical matchups with our, our available personnel. Uh, Alex, what's your take on that? Look, those are really, really fair points. And I do really agree with the Asensio coming back. Um, positive. Hazard's impact has not been yet what what they hope and again this is going to be such a cheap shot but you know <laughs> but like you you're not the same without Ronaldo you're just you're just not and I hate to say it because you know I feel like I'm better than that but there's something to be said for a guy that's averaging a goal per game like 
Messi, they have that guy. Unfortunately, Madrid doesn't, so they're going to have to find different solutions, and that's that's really really tough. You know, I feel, I feel like yeah. back back to Barca. You know, definitely great that the managers had time to implement his strategy, but at the same time, you know, the players are the ones that figure out the solutions. I really feel that like Messi's the one that coaches the team. Messi is the one that decides who's going where. He's the guy who who talks individually with his players. He's like, you're going to do this. You're going to do that. So again, total cheap shot. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I actually, by the way, full disclosure, Sergio Ramos is my favorite defender. Besides his man. discipline <laughs> problems, he's the man. Him and Varane is the best pairing in the Liga by far, perhaps in the world in recent years. So, you know, I'm really excited about, about, about what's going to happen moving forward. Sam, what's your Atletico is not going to be there. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. But I mean, with that Real Madrid defense, I mean, we're, we're well positioned going into any game. It's really just the attacking side that we're missing. And, you know, I think the, the players we have coming back, well, you know, granted, they, they can't replace the GOAT. Uh, Cristiano's absence, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's really hurt the side. But now they can start to figure it out. They, they have hopefully a fit it and Hazard for the first time all season. Um, that that was his issue at the beginning of the year. I mean, right. we saw the uh, he, he enjoyed the break a little bit too much. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this, enjoyed lockdown a bit too much. As well. uh, oh gosh, I hope not. <laughs> so, but I, I think we're well positioned going into the the last uh, leg of the play. Sam, what's your assessment on Real Madrid's chances? Well, I think there's a big factor that that we haven't thought of. I mean, we're looking at kind of the, the tactical side of things more than anything. And so maybe it hasn't come up, but maybe this is something that Alex can talk about as well, is the psychological factor for Real Madrid. I mean, playing, going from the Bernabeu where they usually play, which is one of the most impressive stadiums in, in all of Spain. And now they're going to be playing around Abebas at the training ground, effectively. And you wonder, I mean, this is a Real Madrid team who have so many players like Ramos, like Marcelo, like Benzema, like even Gareth Bale, who... They turn up for the big games. It's when they're in these Champions League semi-finals and the Classicos that they produce their best performances and they really show what they're capable of. And then to have that kind of concentration level when they're playing against Alaves at their training ground with no fans present, it'll be interesting to see how they adapt to that. I think Real Madrid, more than any other team, will be kind of struggling to, to get used to that change and being away from the, the usual stadium makes it an even stronger impact than just not having any fans there. Sam, I think that's an excellent point that I didn't even consider. Um, it's definitely a different mentality. I by no means play in the Bernabeu. I have played in front of 20,000 fans and I've played in front of 100. And I've played in front of zero. And we're probably leaning towards zero in times to come. And it's just, just different. I don't care what anyone says. You know, I love to play in front of people. I love the energy. I love everything you just mentioned. You know, as an athlete, as a competitor, I want it to be, you know, the biggest hundred thousand people, even if they're, you know, negative, you know, even if they're, they're, they're against you. Like I still want to play in that environment. Now, if I do imagine players on Real Madrid who have, you know, massive egos and they want all the attention and you know, it's, it's their lifestyle. So, you know, I'd be in the same boat. I'm not going to lie. So I think that's just a really fantastic point. But is that unique to Real Madrid, or is that something all of the big clubs are going to experience? I mean, it, why why is Barcelona uh, not susceptible to that? I mean, granted, they get to play well, no, in their, their stadium, but yeah, I think I mean it seems like a smaller thing, but for me, 
I don't know, I'm not a player on Alex as the expert here, but for me, you're stepping out into the camp new, even if it's empty, it's still quite an intimidating place to be, a place to play. And I mean, a lot of these, these Spanish teams, the lower league, the lower half of the table, we've got very, a lot of Spanish players who will have grown up dreaming of playing at the Camp Nou or the Renabelle. And so to have that moment as soon as you step onto the pitch, there's that factor of a, a bit of intimidation. Even if there aren't any fans, it's this stadium that you've been looking forward to playing at for so long. And when it's Real Madrid and it's the training ground and it's just like the training ground at your club, then I think you lose some of that fear factor that, that Real Madrid will gain just from, from the off. So I want to spend a few minutes and, and give a little bit of air time to folks other than Real and, uh, and um, Barca. I mean, Sevilla, uh, you, you, want to, you want to cheer for, uh, though they've got to play against Barca, Atletico Madrid, uh, Real Sociedad, and Valencia. And that seems like an awfully heavy lift not even to mention the uh, the Sevilla derby, right, which is always very, very emotional. So that's five pretty tough games there. Um, it's going to be a, a, a tough ask um, for um, Real Sociedad. They've got Real Madrid, Hitafe, Sevilla, Atletico Madrid as well. That's, that's a lot of lifting right there. Um, they're going to be doing a fair bit of traveling, um, given where, they, where they're located. Um, which in some ways I'd probably give a little more of a nod to um, Hatafe, which we do know have older legs, um, but and they still have Real Madrid uh, and Real Sociedad and Atletico Madrid, which are going to be tough outs. But they got fewer fewer tough outs to play than the other the other guys do. So I think this recovery puts them in a really solid positioning for getting that fourth. Uh, third or fourth Champions League spot, depending on how things play out. Anybody have any things they want to add to to the kind of the row of the La Liga? Yes, yeah, so I think the last match day is going to be the big one. I think it's Real Sociedad against Atletico Madrid, and then you've also got Sevilla against Valencia. I think it is, and then I think Stafi play play Sevilla. It might be the week before that as well. So all of those four or five teams who are in the fight are all playing against each other in that last week. So if we go into those last few matches with it still being as close as it is now with two or three points, then there's going to be a lot of pressure on those teams and managing that kind of pressure, playing on a Thursday and then a Sunday and so close together, it's going to be a big ask for them, especially Hatafe. I think that's where it could impact Hatafe a little bit more because of the, the older squad that they've got. I think psychologically, mentally, they'll be able to handle the pressure a bit better, but then they will struggle to keep up that kind of intensity, which which Borderless does demand. I mean, they're very organised and, and structured, but whether those legs can last when they're in the middle of the summer, when they've got so much to play for, I mean, a lot of these players as well, you've got to remember that they they probably won't ever play Champions League football again if they don't make it this season when they're, they're already into their 30s. So it's going to be a lot of pressure on them. So Sam, I think they're quite... Follow-up yeah. question to you. Um, Atletico Madrid is kind of sitting on the outside on this. Make the case that they're going to make it, get a Champions League spot. It's Diego Simeone. And Diego Simeone teams just, they get what they need to do. Find a way. <laughs> and they do it. It's not pretty. But they'll find a way to get there. I mean, even if it's a series of one that wins, you never know with, with Atletico. But they do know how to grind out a result. And, and Hatafe are very similar in that regard. And I think that's where... Valencia 
in the past have been similar, but they've lost some of that this season. But they're a bit different to Real Sociedad and a bit different to Sevilla, who are teams that like to be a bit more expressive. And, and Atletico and Hitafe can grind out nil-nil draws. They can grind out one-nil wins. And if that's what they need to do to get them over the line, then there's nobody better than Diego Simeone to, to help them do that. I think that's a really, really great take. I completely agree with it. And, you know, Simeone, when there's pressure, that's where he performs. He loves pressure. His team loves pressure. And you also got to think about the financial implications of getting into that final Champions League spot. And for a club like Atletico, with everything that's happening right now, like they need to get in. And all these clubs are going to say the same thing. Like we need to get in. Everything that's happening financially is just going to definitely take a blow of the revenue from the fans. And we don't know when the fans are going to come back. But I do believe that, you know, a club like Atletico, a manager like Simeone, and his players are built for a pressure pressure situation like this. Yeah, I, I agree. Think as well, kind of the, the belief of, of Atletico now is that they are a Champions League club. And so Sevilla, Hetafe, and Real Sociedad, they're all kind of there like, wow, the Champions League, that'd be amazing to achieve that. Whereas Atletico, I mean, I'm a season ticket holder at Atletico Madrid, and a few weeks ago they sent out an email saying, sign up for your new season ticket to watch the Champions League next season. I mean, the fifth, sixth in the league. I mean, they're not already there. So they just have that belief that, yeah. that they will qualify somehow. But they have that belief that they expect to be there and they should be there. Whereas a lot of the other teams are a bit more. That would be great. So let's see what happens. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the difference. It's it's hope versus expectations. For the big three, it's an expectation that they not only get to the Champions League, but that when they get there, they they make a deep run. Um, you know. So for the other teams in Spain, there's, there's always the hope that they can qualify for Europe. There's always some kind of shuffling uh, within that, that fourth to, to sixth range. But, I mean, I, I just can't see Atletico Madrid missing the Champions League. I mean, that, just look at Klopp and Liverpool. You, you can't count this Atletico side out. Um, well, I think a lot of people wrote them off after the, the first leg of the Champions League uh, and they they went to Liverpool and you know, didn't play great, but still somehow found a way to get the result. So this is a team that knows how to win. They get results. That's just what they do. That's the culture. Right. What needs to be done. Well, it'll be it'll be interesting to see because I think if they are able to secure that with beating Liverpool, I think you just chalk this up to a great another great Simeone season, right? It's solid, right? Not, not going to win any awards, but it's solid. So um, I do still think that the, the La Liga precogs, it's a little bit cloudy uh, as to whether they, they get that slot. And, and, that's what, and, and, and football is a game of probabilities. So uh, that's why you have to show up every day and, and put your boots on. So that wraps up today, folks. Um, we would like to thank uh, Total Football Analysis. Um, they are the world's largest open source analyst community. Please visit www.totalfootballanalysis.com. Join and support the revolution. Free at last, free at last. For now, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao, ciao.